0: Okay, Numbers chapter 13, and uh, we're not going to have you stand and read it, we're going to do it a little bit differently tonight, Um, and our prayer time slash invitation time will be a little bit different as well, and as you can imagine, um, we're going to focus a little bit on, well a lot, on prayer for the young people going to camp, and uh, and I want to lead up to it with a thought that I may have presented in, a, in a, maybe a little bit of a different way before, but I'd like to bring it again tonight. Numbers chapter 13 um, is the story of the 12 men went to spy out Canaan, 10 were bad and two were good, right? So it's the theme song for junior church and and you have sung it before and you probably are familiar with it and Moses sends these 12 spies to Canaan and Canaan is the land that God had promised to them. This is a land of promise of over 400 years um, that they've been waiting to take the land. And uh, after uh, 40 days of spying out the land, the the spies come back and, and come to find out all the stories, all the dreams they've had. It's all true. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at verse 26, number 13. And they went and came to Moses. And to Aaron and to to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we came under the land whither thou sent us and surely it floweth with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it. And so you think, okay, then obviously they're going to go and enjoy... The fruit of the land. They're going to take it. They're going to win the battle. And yet verse 28 begins with a word that should be a red flag for us. Verse 28 begins with the word nevertheless. Meaning however or uh, but the people be, uh, be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover we saw the children of Anak there. And and the children of Anak were giants. And they say a few verses later, we're like grasshoppers compared to them. And so 10 of the spies bring back this evil report. And two of the spies, I'll ask the kids in here, who were the two spies that came back with a good report? Um, Any kids want to just tell me? Yes. Caleb and Joshua. That's right. They came back. Thousand points to the boys. Um, So they came back with a good report. And they were saying, basically, those that brought back an evil report were focused on the giants. Those that brought back a good report were focused on God. On the size of their God. and, And that God can give them the victory. And alas, though, and not surprisingly, the children of Israel ignore the good report. And they focus on the giants. Look down at chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried... And the people wept that night. They start weeping and wailing. Verse 2, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? So they murmur against their leadership, against Moses and Aaron, and they say, we would be better off dead. We should have just died back in Egypt or died in this wilderness. That would be a better option right now. In verse 3, it says, And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by this sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Let's find somebody that will take us back to where we're comfortable. There are no giants in Egypt. Now, yes, we're bond, we're slaves, yes, we're bound, yes, we don't have freedom, but at least there aren't giants. I mean, that's how wrongly they're thinking about this situation. So Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, they try to turn the backsliding backsliding ship around and, and Moses and Aaron fall on their faces. They pray to God that the people will come to their senses. Joshua and Caleb they rend their clothes, they stand up and give this, uh, this stirring speech. Look at verse 7. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and, and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. I mean, that's that's quite a speech, isn't it? First, the land is good. Not only that, God wants us to have it, and he's going to give it to us. And third, we ought not rebel and fear the people of the land. They are like bread. They are going to be as easy as bread because we have God on our side. So don't be afraid. And in most crowds, that speech would have turned things around. But the children of Israel aren't most crowds. Look at verse 10. But all um, all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. So here they are. They want to stone Joshua and Caleb. And I want you just to get the picture here. Uh, The people are afraid of giants. They're focused on giants they've never even seen with their own eyes. And at the same time that they're picking up stones to throw at those people that have faith in God, God's glory is filling the tabernacle over here. So on one side, they're picking up rocks to throw rocks at the, the men who believe in God. And God right here is filling the temple, the tabernacle. I mean, isn't that incredible that that unbelief can cause us to be blind to what is right in front of our faces? The glory of the Lord is filling the tabernacle and they're so focused on giants they've never seen that that wins out. The giants are winning against their God. These same people who just a few months before had watched the Red Sea part and they walked on dry ground across it. They can look to the sky right then and see a cloud by day. At night, they can look in the, in the sky and see a pillar of fire. They've been eating manna that just drops to the ground and feeds them. They've had quail that God has provided for them to sustain them. They have God on their side filling the tabernacle and yet they're afraid of giants. They fail to trust God even though his presence is visibly before them. At all times. And, and God has had enough. I mean he just comes to the end of it with them. And in verse 11 he says this. And the Lord said unto Moses how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. I'm going to start over Moses. I mean, I've given them every sign. I've given them everything they could possibly ask for. I'm going to disinherit them. I'm going to smite them with the pestilence. And Moses, um, you were going to be the new Adam. I'm starting over with you. Or maybe more accurately, you're going to be the new Abraham. You're going to be the father of a new nation. I'm done with these people. Well, Moses intervenes on their behalf, which he was in the habit of doing. He had to do quite a bit he intervenes and God shows mercy but it doesn't mean that God um, does away with the consequences and by the way that's a good lesson for us it's a side note but yes even if you've messed up and even if God shows mercy it doesn't mean that you get to go around the consequences there are still consequences to deal with and they had to deal with severe severe consequences because of their lack of belief look down at verse 20 Um, It says, and the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. Forgiveness doesn't mean now you get to go around the consequences. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. I'm going to remind the children of Israel that it's not about them, it's about me. Look at verse 21, or sorry, verse 22. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times... And if not hearken to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Because, he says, because you've seen the glory and because you've seen the miracles and you still tempt me through your unbelief. You will not see the land that you've been waiting on for 400 years. Verse 24, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went and his seed shall possess it. Caleb is a different story. Caleb has a spirit different than everybody else. He's followed me fully. He believes in my power. He will enter into the land. And and then he gives the consequences and these consequences in verses 29 through 37, they're catastrophic consequences. I mean, these are as bad as it can get. You know, this, this last week, I don't know if you were following the Ocean Gate submersible vehicle that was, you know, going to view the wreckage of the Titanic. And it, it really was a tragedy. You, you expected that it was going to be just a total loss and absolutely catastrophic. Those of you that might have been following that. And, and, and no less catastrophic is the, are the consequences that the children of Israel are having to face. See everyone, twenty years and old, twenty years old and upward. He says, everybody that murmured against God, twenty years old and upward, would never inherit the land, the land they've dreamed about. The only ones that would go in would be Joshua and Caleb, uh, those that were older, and then the little ones, the ones that they said were going to be a prey, the ones that they said are they're going to die. If God says, you said they're going to be a prey; they'll actually inherit the land. Your little ones are going to go into the land, but because of your unbelief. You, and this is the key point. Because of your unbelief, you and your children will walk around the wilderness for 40 years. Look at verse 34. And the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even 40 days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even 40 years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. So one year for every day that they searched out the land... That's how long they had to walk around in the wilderness. Those 10 spies then that brought the evil report, God killed them instantly through a plague. I mean, this is heavy stuff. And you say, well, what does it all mean and how does it apply? Well, the promised land is a picture of the abundant Christian life. And some people might say that the promised land sounds a lot like heaven, but, but I don't know that the picture really applies because... Um, I don't think we're going to, when we get to heaven, we're going to have to uh, cast giants out before we can inherit it. So the abundant Christian life, I I say that this is the abundant Christian life. This is Christ-likeness. This is um, the picture of... Of the life that God wants every one of his children to live. And he's given us a picture in Jesus Christ of how he wants us to live. And not only has he given us a glimpse of how we could be living. He's also enabled us through the power of his resurrected son. Through the word of God and through the help of the Holy Spirit. We have every resource available to us to live that abundant Christian life. It's possible. But there's a problem. It's not easy. You know, just because it's possible doesn't mean it's, it's a light switch. And just like Israel, we have to cast out giants before we can enter the land. We, we don't get saved and just automatically, we're day one super Christians. And, and although salvation is a point in time, sanctification is a process. And it's a journey um, of sanctification. And, and I don't like the terminology when so, someone says Well, my salvation testimony, my journey to salvation, well, salvation's not a journey. Salvation's a moment in time. What is a journey is what happens after salvation and your sanctification that you become more and more like Jesus Christ the more that you know him and, and the more that you have victory over those sins and those bad habits and the, the more that the fruit of the spirit is evidenced in your life and, and we become more like Christ the longer we go, hopefully. We, we all have giants to defeat. We have besetting sins. We have bad habits. We have fears and doubts that we must overcome uh, and, and, and yet it's possible to overcome them. Unfortunately, nevertheless, we can be like Israel in another way and that we, we have the sin of unbelief in our life and it prevents us from seeing God for who he truly is. Right. Meaning we know that God made it possible, but the, but, the, but the process seems so long and arduous and difficult that we fail to see that God is bigger than the giant's. And they had seen the miracles, they'd witnessed the glory, that yet, yet they saw the giants as too big for God. And if we believe God, if we refuse to believe God in the face of our giants, then we will never see the land either. God's made the abundant Christian life available to you, but he doesn't make you inherit it. He gives us a choice, he says, this is the life I want for you, it's a great life, it's the best life. But I won't force it on you. You have to have a spirit like Caleb who believed in my ability over the giants and followed me all the way. And the application to our personal lives, it's obvious. Uh, Have you been to the promised land? I mean, can you look back in your life and say, there have been times in my life that I have lived the abundant Christian life. I know I was living in victory. I know I was living close to God and Jesus Christ, and I were as close as we've ever been. The fruit of the Spirit was was happening. I'm not saying I was perfect, but there have been times in my life that, that, yes, I could say that. Does that describe you? Can you say that about any point in your life? Because we sometimes view that as the exception But really, I believe that God says that's the norm. It should be. We ought to live in that respect, in that place, that land, the life that he's promised. But maybe the giants are preventing you from getting there. There's a sin that you can't defeat or a habit that you can't overcome. And, And Joshua and Caleb, they told the people it's not up to them to gain the victory. The Lord is on our side. Can I just encourage you today to tell you that if you have God on your side, there's no battle that you can't win. And, and he has given you every resource available. And, and God says, don't fear, believe in my power, follow me fully. And, and that might be the primary lesson in this text, that no matter the giants, the, the abundant Christian life is within reach with God's strength. I mean, that's the point. That's what, God, that's what God, I believe, wants us to get from this. But tonight, there's also a specific secondary application And that I think is really important here, and this is is it. The unbelief on the part of the children of Israel didn't only affect the unbelievers. The unbelief on the part of the children of Israel, those 20 years old and up, it didn't only affect those that were 20 years and up. You see, there was a multitude of young people who had to wait 40 years before they could enter the promised land and that's so sad about two hours ago 37 young scouts spies maybe you might call them scouts sounds a little better about 37 young scouts along with their counselors they left to spy out the land And I don't mean that they... I'm not talking about Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee's nice, but it's not the promised land. I'm talking about the abundant Christian life. And we're praying they catch... We are praying that 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 group of young people... Eastside Baptist Church this week... That they catch a glimpse... Of the kind of life they could live in Jesus Christ. And for one week, they're going to be away from all the normal distractions... And and those influences. And, And this week many of them will clearly see the life that God wants them to live. And some are going to see it the first night. Some are a little, you maybe these describes your children, some are a little harder headed. You say, that's, those are my children, yes. It might be the second night, might be the third night. Some might wait till Friday night to keep everybody in suspense because that's the way some of them are. And yet, but but they, many of them will respond. And I would say, most of them will respond. And at some point during the week, listen, at some point during the, during the week, they're going to see it. They're going to get a glimpse of the land and they'll clearly recognize the life that God wants them to live. And sometimes we assume, well, it's the mushy, emotional sob fest in which all the kids go away and, and, and they lose sight of reality for a few days and they lose sight of reality and then make all these decisions and then they come back to reality and find out it was just a product of the environment they were in. Well, that's not, uh, that's, I mean, it's hogwash. That's not the way it is. I actually believe the opposite is true. I believe that many of our young people, uh, when they get away from the influences and the distractions, and they get to a place where the truth is so saturating their heart, I think that's actually the reality of life. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's wh- that's when they see it for the clearest um, that they can see it, and and that's when they see it as uh, you know as crystal clear as they ever will because. Um, For those few days, um, there's nothing else really clouding their thinking and clouding their mind. And and there's no diversions And there. I mean, there are some diversions, but for many of them, most of the diversions are, are gone for the first time. They catch a glimpse of the kind of life that God wants a teenager to live, even. The best life. The Canaan life. The reality life. And many of them are going to come back, I really believe this, they'll come back like Joshua and Caleb, with a different kind of spirit. And they'll be excited about how God might use them and and knowing that there are giants, but that they've got God on their side and he's bigger than their giants and they're going to have maybe a different spirit and they won't be so worried about the obstacles because they're focused on the size of their God my question, though, is if they come back after seeing the land, how are we going to respond? Because the issue here wasn't just with the 10 spies. The issue was with those over 20. Because all the people, if you look at verse 1, it says all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. So it was the old fuddy-duddies. It was the old people, the young people came back and the old people were, were saying, oh, come on, well, you know, I, it can't be real, it's not accurate, I mean, this is reality, and they'll, they'll, they'll learn, I mean, for some, I mean, hopefully you say this, yes, it's a great life, and we have nothing to fear. God is on our side. And, and uh, if you made a decision for the Lord, I want to help you however you need. And I want nothing more for you than to live that life. Let's follow God fully. That ought to be our response. But sometimes we say, oh, great, here they come. Back again, all excited about Canaan. Didn't they do this last year? I mean, I, I know the land is great, uh, but those giants... I've seen those giants. They're huge. I mean, and I've heard this before. And give it time in 14 days. Everything will be back to normal reality. And yes, son, daughter, I know you made a decision uh, about your music or about your friends or about what you're watching. Uh, but don't get so extreme about it. Yeah, I know you made a decision to witness more or to spend more time doing this, but, but this is your last year of high school and you need your evenings to focus on homework so you can get a scholarship and go to that college that I want, I mean, that, that you want to go to. I mean, didn't you make that decision to read through your Bible last year at camp? How'd that work out for you? I mean, give them a few weeks, folks. All, all this holiness, it'll wear off. Now, I mean, we would never say that. We, we wouldn't, and I believe that. But I do think that, that those are um, dramatic ways to indicate that there is a possibility that we can squelch a spirit that the, the scouts come back with. Imagine children listening to their parents wail about the giants, and they're thinking, but what about the Red Sea? I mean, he can't defeat giants, but did you not see... I mean, either those giants are really huge or our God isn't as strong as I thought he was. It wasn't the children that lacked faith. I mean, we know that children find faith easy. Jesus Christ said that himself. It's not the children that lack faith. It's often those that have failed to see the land. Look at verse 31. It says, but your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, then will I bring in and they shall know the land which ye have despised. Well, at least the children got to go in. Yeah, but look at verse 33. And your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. Those young people, I believe, I truly believe it had been up to the young people, they would have conquered the land 40 years before they actually did. And I wonder how many of our children will have delayed victory and delayed blessings because of our lack of faith. You know some of those 11 and 12 year old Israelites had to wait until they were in their 50s before they got to see the land. And I, I would just wonder how our attitude has quenched the spirit of our children at times. And all of my kids are at camp this week because I'm, I'm doing some of the speaking and, I, and, I, and so they allowed everybody to go and I'm thankful for that. But I, want them to, I don't want them just to have fun riding horses. And I don't just want them to have fun swimming and I want them to have fun. I don't want them just to have fun in sports. And I don't just want them to enjoy the music competitions. I want them to catch a glimpse. I mean, I look back and I think if I had caught a glimpse, I mean, I did catch a glimpse as a teenager. And like most teenagers, you know, after a while of, you know, it kind of just wears off and and the reality kind of dissipates a little bit. But I remember catching a glimpse and having all the optimism in the world. And by my own choices, maybe I didn't keep it where it needed to be, but I can tell you this, I'm thankful that I had parents that didn't hurt or hinder me from, from going there. It was my choices. If, I, if it was hindered, it was because I chose. And I, I just wonder how many of, of maybe my children, um, maybe my doubt is gonna cause them to miss out on years of the abundant Christian life. And I imagine, I mean, I don't know for sure, I, maybe there were children that died in the wilderness. I mean, I don't know if God's promise basically protected them from that. We, I mean, it's hard to know for sure, but, but I can say that they didn't have to wander. Yeah, that's right. And I guess we have to ask ourselves, when the Lord moves in our young people, are we the ones casting a doubt on his ability to take them to Canaan? Amen. Why the skepticism? Well, I mean, I think one answer to that is possi- the possibly that we as adults have never caught a glimpse of the abundant Christian life. I mean, I heard somebody say, yeah, somebody asked a mountain climber once, um, why do you do this? I mean, why do you keep going up to the top of Everest or whichever mountain it was that he was climbing? And, and, the, and the mountain climber turned to the person asking the question and says. Well, um, the fact that you're asking the question proves to me that you've never been to the top. Meaning, if you've been there, then you know. If you've been there, you know why it matters. If you've seen it, you know. If you've experienced it, that's how you know. And I just wonder if there's skepticism on our part... Because either we've never been there, or when they come back, we're not there right now. And so rather than get excited and and help them in every way we can, we become skeptical because our vision of the abundant Christian life is clouded with unreality. You know, we're not all that passionate because we haven't seen it in a while. Now, this doesn't just fall on parents, not not every, I'm not just saying that our, it is us that limits our children. They have the choice. Um, but, but I, I want, don't want to get down to the end of it and recognize that I was a reason or a hindrance for them getting there. And by the way, not everyone that doubted was a parent. There were those over 20 that were surely single or, or maybe that had already had children and they, moved, they were old enough now and moved out. Their doubt hindered them too. And You say, well, I don't have kids. Well, you may not be a parent, but your influence can have either a negative or positive effect on the next generation too. We all impact each other. And you can have impact on the next generation and rather than be skeptical, let's find out how God moves in their hearts and be excited be, and, and be willing to help them. And parents, maybe we need to make sure none of our habits are the giants in the lives of our children. Yeah, I don't want my children to reach Canaan in spite of me a church member decide to influence someone younger than you when they come back ask them about their decision and check up on them and 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 do some things to help them along the way i don't think you realize how much of an influence that would have how much of an impact that would have for them to know that somebody cares enough about me to ask me about these things you know and we can't make them choose but i don't want to be a hindrance and i don't think that you do either so tonight I just think it'd be good for us not just to pray for the campers although we're going to do that but to pray that we wouldn't be a hindrance simply because maybe our glimpse of the abundant Christian life isn't as clear as it ought to be so let's pray for that tonight pray that, that this generation wouldn't reach the abundant Christian life in spite of us but because of us because we inspire them because we help them but not only that, let's pray for campers. Let's ask the Lord to soften their hearts and let's pray for decisions and let's pray for brokenness. Let's, let's pray for the campers to have a plan to keep those decisions. And their plan could include you. Let let's parents talk with your children when they get back and make their decisions a matter of daily prayer. And, and, and so importantly, don't create giants. Don't allow things in your life to be hindrances in your children and also don't focus on the giants because if we believe that God is greater than the giants then it's possible for your children to overcome the things that God speaks to them about. Be ready to do whatever it takes to help them get to the life they catch a glimpse of this week and above all remember that you will be more passionate about helping them conquer Canaan if you have conquered Canaan. If you from experience can say, here's what I've gone through, and I've been to the top, and I want you to see it too. So tonight, the, what I'd like to do, Kath, if you don't mind, just come into the piano. We're going to have her play, and, and I've, got, I've got cards here, and, and I would just ask that maybe, I, I know it's a little bit different, um, but that every person in the room just, just comes while the, the piano is playing and just takes a card. And you can pray as a family, you can pray as an individual. We have enough for every individual to take one here. And pray for the camper, but while you're praying for the camper and all the details about the camper, then, then take time to pray that you yourself um, would get a view of the life they're going to see this week. And that as you get the view, that your view of that life would allow you not to be a hindrance to those that catch a view this week in Tennessee.